That's a great question to ask a pastor. Like, are you fishing for men, you know, or fishing for fish? He's fishing for fish with his son. Um, so pray that they'll just have a, a great time together, and the uh, Lord would bless, bless that. It's important uh, for a pastor to have time with his family and just uh, really take that in. So he's enjoying that probably uh, in beautiful weather, although it's been great here as well. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that none may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray before we get into this. Lord God, we just lift up this time to you. Lord, we pray, um, Lord, that through we... Through the study of your scripture, Lord, that, that your Holy Spirit would speak to each of our hearts, Lord, that, Lord, these are just words up here, Lord, from me, God, but, but we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak a special message to each of us, Lord, and, and convict where there needs to be conviction, Lord, and encourage, Lord, where there needs to be encouragement. Father, we just love you and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, here in first one, we see that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And it's an important thing to start with because we often maybe forget that we were truly dead. Many of us maybe have come from Christian homes, Christian backgrounds, and we know that there was a point in when we needed to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. But sometimes I think that we forget that we were truly dead Maybe you received the Lord when you were four or five or, you know, seven at a young age. And it's hard at that age to really take responsibility for things. I have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and now a little baby. And uh, my three- and four-year-old don't take a whole lot of responsibility for the evil things they do. And they do some truly <laughs> evil things to one another. But if I told my son, you know look at you, you're, you're dead in your sin and trespass, you know, there's a little bit of a... Of a still understanding issue there. He knows that he did something wrong. Um, but looking back in those situations, sometimes it's hard to really grasp that. And so for some of us, we need to truly remember and understand that we were born into that place. We were dead. That was the beginning point. Many people believe they're kind of doing just fine without Jesus. They think, you know, I'm in control, I got things covered, I live in life to the fullest, and I don't need a savior. Other people believe that they're just simply better off for having Jesus in their life. 
many people are just kind of expect that the quality of life will now change. Right? My day will go a little better. I'll have a little bit more of a smile on my face. You know, better things will just naturally happen to me because I'm a Christian. And we have to go back and truly understand that before Christ, we were dead. A resurrection had to take place. You know, we celebrate that at Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power and, and, and the awesomeness of that event. But sometimes I think that we forget that that happened in us as well, that we were dead. There was no hope. Jesus is not just a better way. He's the only way. And so we need to understand that and, and always keep that in mind, not that we dwell in the fact that we were dead, but that we remember that we once were, but Jesus resurrected us. So I've simply titled this message, Made Alive, because it's an important thing that we remember that, because that is an immense truth, that we were truly made alive. And as we think about communion, which we'll take after the message and do some more worship, I I encourage you to dwell on the passage that we're going to be in this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion. Verse 2, Paul goes on to say, tell us what that life of trespass and sin that led to death looked like. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So he says that we walked according to the ways of this world, that we were moved whichever way the wind was blowing. You know, James elaborates on on that idea. James 1, 5, and 6 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. So like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, it refers to that just being blown about by whatever direction the wind is going. We can imagine that. And before we were in Christ Jesus, we were just blown about by whatever way the world led, whatever the standards the world had set, those things that were in us that were not controlled because we didn't have the Holy Spirit taking over them. Right? We had those things like anger. And before Christ, you and I remember those things that the anger that we had truly controlled us. And that in Christ, now we have hope. Right? Those, those things that maybe we once walked in, now we, we you know, just notice them creeping up on us. And we say, Lord, please don't let me go there again. And so before Christ, we were moved about by those things, the ways of the world, the path the world set before us. It goes on to say, not only were we blown about by the ways of the world, but also according to the prince of the power of the air. So who is driving that wind that was blowing us around? That was Satan. The prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world, the devil, the father of lies. So many people are convinced that they are not in need of a savior because they feel that they're in control Of their own life. Because Satan, the father of lies, has allowed them to believe that. Right? Who wants to believe that they're being blown about however the wind decides? People don't like to believe that. 
and we talk to many people and share with them, and they have that thought. It's like, I'm in control. I hope you know I'm in control. There's, I, don't, I don't need Jesus to help me along, right? That's for the weak. But we see here, blown about by the wind, right? The strong aren't blown about by the wind. It is the weak who are blown around easily by the wind. The Satan is the one who is moving in that. God's word tells us the truth that those who are not children of God are dead in their trespass and sin. They're being influenced by Satan. We can't make a mistake about that. Verse 4, we walked in trespass and sins. We were blown about by the devil. We were born children of wrath. We have to remember that, that the consequences of that lifestyle made us children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. But it says, but God, but God, God intervened. A while back, a friend was encouraging me that, you know, when I talk to people, a lot of times, like, if if I was, you know, hearing what they said, but I kind of was going to go a different direction, I'd say, yes, but, and You know, then they would say, okay, but, you know, here's this kind of situation. Yes, but, and so he's told me ever so nicely that, you know, every time you say that, you're saying, like, I heard you, but I actually kind of disagree with everything you said, and we're going this direction. And so while that was good social advice, um, the Lord saying yes, but on our behalf is an awesome thing. Right? It says that we were dead in our trespasses. We were children of wrath being blown about by the wind. But it says, but God. That's a good thing for us when God butts in. His abundance of mercy and love intervened. You may know the story of Abraham and Sarah, Genesis 22 and 3. It says, now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of Negev. And settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned to Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have, you have taken, for she is married. You know, I've made some mistakes in my marriage, but I've never tried to give my wife away. I know that's not a high bar, but it's something. But Abraham deserved to lose his wife. Sarah went along with it. He will argue, for the sake of the ladies in here, that she was being a good, submissive wife. But Abimelech was going to die because of this lie that had taken place. But it says, but God, he intervened, right? And Abraham gets to keep his wife. Sarah is not defiled, and Abimelech gets to live, right? Because of what God did, that intervention that was there, simply because of his grace. You know, some warp the idea of God's mercy and love into the idea that We're just so lovable. You know, that's something we we sometimes fall into. We start looking around and saying, you know what? 
But look at all the Christians in surprise, in this church, you know, whatever it might be. No, I'm, I'm doing all right, right? When they, when they did that all, in, that all in announcement last week, I've been all in for years. It's sad that people had to stand up and be all in now, right? We can start to compare ourselves and start to put ourselves in a place of, you know what, I, I, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm doing all right. God loves me because I'm awesome, right? <laughs> Start to look around and think, well, everyone else loves me. Why wouldn't God love me too? We have that mindset sometimes. I know we don't say it out loud, but man, if you're like me, you got some really screwed up thoughts going on in your head, right, between you and yourself. And then we just kind of bring the Lord into that and say, oh, Lord, if I think I'm great and these people think I'm great, you must be just ecstatic up there. So we have to be careful that we know that God's love is not because we're lovable. But we also have to be careful of the opposite, that we think that, you know, just God can't love me. God's love is so amazing that it extended to us while we are unlovable, unlovely, to the children of wrath. Romans 5, 7 through 9 says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Are we trying to make ourselves lovable? Do you think that the amount of service that you put out correlates with how much love God puts towards you. Because there is no tying together of that. Yes, we respond in worship through good works. Yes, we were made, at the end of this verse, we see for good works, but God's love was there far before we even had the opportunity to respond with good works. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, we can't try or fall into that trap of trying to make ourselves lovable before the Lord. God loves us simply that. Also, we can know that if we are a child of God, that he continues to love us and that we can't be separated from that love. Romans 8, 38 through 39, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we would remember that, that, that we are loved, but let's always remember why we are loved. It's because of how great he is, not because of how great we are. Verse 5, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Through God's great love, Jesus, and Jesus' sacrifice, he took those of us who believe from our dead state and made us alive. Again, it's such a simple thing that we're like, well, that's, yeah, we, we know that. But the process that is there, again, is miraculous. You were dead, and Christ raised you up to life. 
The account of Lazarus is one we're familiar with. John 11, 38 through 44 says, So Jesus, again being deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. So Lazarus was dead to the point where he was rotting. His body was decaying. There was an odor that it was prevalent. The point where even his sister, with the possibility of a miracle at hand, turns to Jesus and says, Well, be careful. He's really dead, right? He, he stinks. He, he's rotting, right? They had understood that Jesus had done miracles, but she looked at Jesus and said, you might want to reconsider this one. You might want to think about that a little longer. It's too late, she said. And Jesus, notice what he said. He said, believe and you will see the glory of God. The glory of God is on display in its fullest when he makes alive that which was dead. Maybe you're here today and you feel an awful lot like Lazarus. Maybe people have even said about you and you even know that you're too far gone. It's too late, right? Your life is too rotten. It actually, you know, you're like this... If the Lord can smell what I'm cooking up, it it stinks, right? The things, the result of my sin and the things that I've put out there, they're they're repulsive to the Lord. And there's no way that this Christian thing could ever apply to me. Look at the rotting, dead, sealed up stone Lazarus, right? Jesus is like, I'm going to roll away the stone. I'm going to remove the stench and I'm going to raise that creature up back to life. And not just life, but abundance of life, eternal life. If you are in that place, know that God takes great joy in making alive that which was dead. Maybe you've been saved an awful long time, or maybe you've been saved recently, and you're like, man, I'm walking in this. This is awesome. My challenge to those of us who are saved is have we stopped praying or hoping or knowing that God is capable of raising up those who are dead around us? Is there someone in your life that you've just prayed for for so long and you finally said, you know what? They're too far gone. They're dead. They're buried. The stones rolled over. It's sealed. Maybe you even think you sealed the 
the, the grave. Maybe you're the one who thinks you rolled it over. Okay, I washed my hands of them. They're done. I would challenge each of us in that place to say, Lord, one, forgive me for limiting your power, but two, to begin to pray and to hope and to dream because God is good and he wants to do a great work. If we're wondering why we don't see the glory of God as much as maybe we would like to, Jesus himself, not me, Jesus himself says it's because lack of belief. Believe and you will see the glory of God. Believing is greater than saying, Lord, we know that you can do anything, but we just don't see how this is all going to go down. Right? Belief is, Lord, I anticipate that you're going to do a great work. And because of that belief, when the result comes, we can have an awesome opportunity to see the glory of God in a way that we haven't yet before. God takes great joy in making alive that which was dead. Verses 6 and 7. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we were dead in our sins, blown around by the ways of the world, children of wrath, but even in our dead state, God's rich mercy and love made us alive again in Christ Jesus so that we could sit with him in the heavenly places that we might be monuments of his grace. The people would look at us and say, there's no reason why you should be there, right? That we would look at people and we would say, I, I, I grew up with you. You were in the same church with me. You, you, you made mistakes. You were, you were mean. You were one of those mean Christians. You're the one with the sour look on your face. And you know what? We're going to be there and we're going to rejoice because we're going to say, Lord, none of us is here except by your grace. That's going to be this miraculous, awesome event that's going to cause us to all look at Jesus and say, how great is he? How great is the Lord? Because we're going to look around and it's not going to make any sense. If you started to think that you deserve it, man, you're going to be in for an awakening because when you're sitting in heaven, you're going to realize quickly that you don't. But the beauty of that is that it's going to cause us to glorify God, to rejoice and be like, Lord, look at what a mess we are, but we're your mess. You've brought us into this place because of your great grace. We're monuments of his grace. Verse 8, for grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So again, we have to remember it's by the grace of God that we've been saved through faith and that it is a gift. Our faith does not save us. Jesus alone saves. Our faith, faith is the activator, the conduit through which we receive that gift. It's how salvation is delivered. We have a part to play in receiving it, but 
make no mistake, it is not because of the greatness of our faith that we are saved. It is not accounted to us. Our faith is just required in the process so that we receive that which was already done for us. We play a small role. Jesus did all of the work. He came down from heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a blameless life, was a spotless lamb that was sacrificed on our behalf, was crucified, the wrath of God poured out on him instead of on the children of wrath. He was dead and buried, but death could not hold him. He was risen, right? He is risen, and in the same way we rejoice in that, we rejoice in the fact that we are too risen because of what he has done for us. We have to remember that we don't deserve salvation. We're not better than anyone for having received it. We've simply responded to the call. It's important that we understand that, not so that we all feel bad about ourselves, like, where's this guy going? He's making this all like, well, don't think you're special or whatever. You know what? It's okay, because when we recognize where we are in this process, we understand how big a part God plays in this process. And when we remember that, we look at people in a different way. When we, think, when we start thinking we had a big part to play in this, we start looking at people and saying, I don't know if you can play the part that I think I played. But when you look at everybody else and say, you know what, you're just a response away from salvation. I mean, did you ever think about that? We look at people and we, we kind of rate them. We're like, yeah, you know, you got a long way to go before you can get to, like, to Jesus. I mean, isn't that scary that we think those things? I know maybe I, again, I might just have this weird way of thinking, and I probably do. However, we get some, some pretty messed up thought process and, like, theology going on sometimes in our head. It says whoever believes and receives, that's it. And if we start thinking we played some massive role in our salvation, we will have trouble believing that somebody else can truly come to Jesus It's simply a response. At any moment, the Holy Spirit can meet them, and at any moment, they could say, yes, pour it on me. Give it to me. I accept it. I receive it. Verse 9, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Why is it so important that we understand salvation is not by our own works? First, if we could save ourselves, then Christ died in vain because we're not able to save ourselves. It's an obvious one. Secondly, though, if we played a part in our salvation, we have something to boast in, to brag about. It says, so that no one may boast. I remember probably about seven years ago, we had just moved into this building, uh, and, and it looked a little bit different at the time, and uh, I was over vacuuming the front office. I had been laid off from my job. I worked construction. I laid off. And so, you know, naturally, as a good Christian, I was vacuuming the front office. Um, oh, don't worry. It gets better. Um, and so I was, you know, vacuuming away. And, and, you know, again, that horrible thought comes in your brain. It, I'd like to say it's Satan, but I don't know. I'm pretty bad. So, you know, I'm thinking like, you know, oh, and the kind of notice what time is and think, 
Pastor Brett's going to roll in any moment now. I didn't plan it originally, but then the thought came in, and I'm vacuuming away and thinking, man, he's going to walk in here and think, look at this guy, man. He's an awesome servant. And right as I was thinking that, I bumped the door open to the next room, that, and the alarm went off. <laughs> and so the alarm's just like, I mean, we have a horrible alarm here if you ever heard it. And so it's just like, just terrible. And the Lord gently said, do you still want to be noticed? <laughs> and I was just like, no, this can be about you, right? I mean, but how quickly we take credit for the things, even the good things that we do, we want to take on ourselves and be like, Lord, look how awesome I am. Look what I'm doing. Help people to notice me. And the reality is everything that goes on is so that people notice him, You know, we all love to tell a good story, especially when we are the star, don't we? Isn't that fun when we have a good story? It's okay. We like stories, and we like the ones where we're like kind of the star of the story. You get to tell it, and we're like, yeah, you know, actually, this is even my story. It's such, I'm so awesome that somebody told this story about me, and now I'm just repeating what they said, you know, and like, you know, we have those like, yeah, this is just great. I'm, I'm the star in the middle. Everyone loves me, and the issue is that if we're the star of the story, God is a supporting cast member. And if that's where he is, then people aren't seeing him for who he truly is. They don't get to see him in all of his glory. They get to see us in all of ours, which is not a lot, as many of you know. right? The, the amount of glory that we have radiating off us is very small, in comparison to what he has. It was only because Moses was sitting there in front of the Lord that he came down radiating, but people didn't see him. They're like, you've been with the Lord. It's our job to make people look at Jesus. As the word says, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We were made to magnify him. Psalm 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. A magnifying glass doesn't make something bigger. It allows people to see something bigger and in greater detail than they could before. And when we allow people to see and hear our testimony for what it truly is, that God did all of the work and that he is great, and that we weren't, not only is there hope for them, because we can relate to, to a hopeless situation, right? We can relate to someone who's like, I don't, I don't know what I could do, and respond. That's what you can do. Not only is that important, but people see God in a different light than they have before. They don't just see that you're a different person. They recognize that God is the one who created the change in you. So when they look back, and yeah, it's sad that people say, oh, remember how terrible you were? Yeah, I do. But Jesus changed me. If we talk and brag and be like, oh, yes, because of my dedication to the Lord, I've just been so great, that's, that's not something people can, can get on totally wrap their minds around. Yes, it's important that we devote ourselves to him and to obe obeying his word, but if we truly 
put credit where credit is due, and we magnify the Lord and say, the Lord did this work. I was just there. I just let him. People have an opportunity to see the Lord and experience in a way that, that they haven't before. Lastly, verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We are his workmanship, his poema, poem, translated work of art or masterpiece. We're not only made alive, but we are a work of art. I know more often we feel like a piece of work, but we are a work of art. A lot of us are, are still very early on in the process. If you've seen a potter make a piece of pottery, I mean, at the beginning, it is literally just a glob. It's just a glob, and then it kind of gets worse. It looks like a weirder glob. And slowly, throughout these little intricate things, it becomes a vessel that is usable according to the way the potter designed it. We are a piece of clay in the hands of the potter, a special vessel uniquely formed for a purpose, to do an important work. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We aren't saved by our works, but we're made for his works. We were made to fulfill a purpose that Jesus already prepared in advance. And if we don't walk in that person, if we don't walk in that purpose, then we aren't as effective. We're not as effective when we try to be something that we are not. You know, a friend of mine and a, and a mentor, he uh, was an amazing electric guitarist. I mean, just really like, you know, played in some decent bands and just was just amazing at electric guitar. And he wasn't a Christian. Um, obviously, when he mentored me, he was. But at this time in his life where he received the Lord and, and he got involved in the church, and he was like, Lord, where do you, what do you want me to do? And he's like, obviously, you want me to play electric guitar on the stage because I'm awesome at it. And, and the Lord, in, in many ways, just kept pushing him and pushing him until he found himself doing children's ministry worship with an acoustic guitar singing Father Abraham, right? Is that not a humbling place to be from going to that talent ability and say, Lord, obviously you want to use me in the way everybody else recognizes that I should be used. And it doesn't mean that we're used in the opposite way that people observe, but it means that there's sometimes seasons that we're used in ways that, that we maybe wouldn't necessarily pick. There's times, I believe, where we just say, what needs to be done? And we jump in. And there's times where the Lord gives us a long life in that one purpose that we continue on steadfastly. But I would encourage each and every one of you in this room to understand the way that God designed you and the way that he shaped you. You know, some of us hold more, some of us hold less. Some of us were made for a specific task. Others were made for something else. And we have to be careful that we don't get into comparison. Comparison is a killer. 
to look around and to say, well, how come they get to do that? And I, I want to do the cool job over there. And, and you want me to go in the back room where no one can see me and just pray for everyone? That's not, that doesn't seem fair. Right? Because in our minds, in our secular way of thinking, we have like a rating system for everything. We look at all the jobs and say, that's obviously the best job. And then there's this job. And then there's the next one. And then there's my job. Right? That's how we, we look at it. And the reality is, even in this church, we have at least 100 people that serve on a weekly basis that make all of this work. There's a lot of people involved in this process from whatever we would classify as maybe a small job to the most important job, whatever that is in your opinion. But the reality is they're all important jobs in God's kingdom, and he's created us to do good works. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Again, we all have certain things we function in as as Christians. The Share Your Faith conference is coming up. We are called to share our faith. You may not have the gift of evangelism, but we are called to be evangelistic There are things that we are called to do generally, but also know that we are created for a specific purpose, that God has you with the husband or wife that he has you with for a purpose, that God has called you to do a certain ministry for a purpose. And I would challenge you that if you don't know what your purpose is, find one. Just jump in and start serving, and I promise I can guarantee the Lord will speak to you, whether he says that's, you went the wrong direction or you went the right one. But you can't mess it up by saying, I'll serve in children's ministry one week. I'll try this out. I'll check it out. We always need help in there. I know it's not for everyone, but just you never know. Some people go in there and they think, man, this is going to be, these kids are going to like destroy me. And man, <laughs> there's some awesome kids in there and you just might find your joy in there loving on little children you may not. But take a step. Maybe it's greeting people. Maybe you're like, I can't be in front of people. You know what? There's people here that I'm sure would love for you to walk side by side with them or or take an area of the church and just walk around praying over the building and over for the people that come in here. There is a job and a task for every single person. And as we talked about last week, the call is to be all in. Maybe you didn't send in an email saying I'm all in. That's okay. Maybe we don't have an email. But I hope that we are all in, not for Calvary Chapel Surprise. Calvary Chapel Surprise is just the platform. We're just here together. We're all in for Jesus Christ. He's called us to serve. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. You were created in Christ for good works works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What? The walk in the good works. Yes, it's verse 10. It's after that. We want to be very certain that we understand that has nothing to do with salvation. However, once we are saved, we are called to walk in good works. God has made us alive in Christ Jesus and formed us to be a unique 
work of art, to carry out his plan, and we are simply told to walk in them. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask, Lord, as we just continue to worship now, 